Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we want to say together, we love you. And Father God, as we continue just to worship you and listen to the things that you have for us in your holy word, we thank you. Thank you for the great salvation that you brought into our lives. Thank you for the way you filled us with your spirit. Thank you for the way that you are changing us, molding us, making us more like your son. And we just give you praise. And Father, we just invite your Holy Spirit just to speak into our hearts this morning in the ways that we need to be able to follow you, to love you, to love one another. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Do you have examples in your life, Christian Leaders, people that you've come across who have impacted you. I have a couple I'd like to share with you this morning. One, probably familiar to a lot of you, Brother Andrew with Open Doors. I remember as a young boy reading that book, God's Smuggler, and just being in awe of how the stories of taking the Bible into uh, those communist countries And seeing how Brother Andrew's life over the years, how his heart was for the church, for the suffering church, actually for anyone who happened to be suffering. How in the 90s with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, about 400 Palestinian men were deported out up into a no-man's land between Lebanon and Israel, and they couldn't go into Lebanon, and they couldn't come down to Israel, and they were stuck there. And how Brother Andrew went and visited them, Muslim Palestinians, just because he cared. And how then God opened doors, and as a result of that, and the contacts and the meetings that he had, Not long after that, he was meeting with Yasser Arafat, the head of the PLO at the time. And then he met down in Gaza with the head of Hamas. And then he met with leaders of Hezbollah in Lebanon. And you look at a life of someone willing to do anything. I remember sitting with Brother Andrew and he's telling me how... Three times he couldn't even get off the airplane when he came home from a trip. He was so shattered. He was so exhausted. They had to come pick him up and carry him off the airplane. And even when he started his ministry in places like the Gaza Strip, he was still over 70 years old. Yeah, I want to be like that. The other one, a man I met for just a few minutes. I was visiting a friend in Yemen, went into his home, and he said, I want you to meet this man. Please remember his face. Walked into this room. Here was an older gentleman, a Yemeni man, about 65 years old, and uh, greeted one another, and then the man left the room. And I looked at my friend and, you know, what's this all about type of a thing? And he said, you know, 
He says, this man has known Jesus for 30 years. And he's the only one in his family. And even members of his own family have taken a vow to kill him because of his faith in the Lord Jesus. But the reason that he was there in my friend's house is this. He wanted the Holy Word of God, not for himself. He had it. He wanted Arabic Bibles to go so he could take them out to the villages surrounding where he lived. And so then my friend said, Kevin, he's actually down at the bus station now, bus station, and he pointed to these two bags of Arabic New Testaments and Bibles. He said, would you take these down to him? I said, I'd love to making my way down to the bus station, and there he was, and just when he saw these two bags of God's holy word, his face just lit up, and the smile in his eyes were beaming, the living word of God. And he was so happy, and he just took those. I said, God bless you. And that was it. A man who will go back for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of his word, and will do anything for him, regardless of what happens to himself. And I think, I want to be like him. I want to serve Jesus like that. And when we come to this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul has shown the Colossians who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And that's what that, that little uh, pamphlet that you have, that you can take and look at the truth of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But now he's going to go on and he's going to talk to them and he's going to share with them about who he is, Paul, and what he is doing, what he is all about. And so in this section Paul is setting down a foundation. Why? Because there are people who are coming in the church in Colossae and are leading people astray. And so he wants to set that foundation of who Jesus is, and we do not move that stone. And then his role in being that representative of Jesus and explaining that good news of Jesus And so Paul, who he is, what he was doing. Verse 24 of chapter 1 of Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. There's nothing lacking in Christ's sacrificial death for us. What Paul is saying is that he is joining in to the example of what Jesus did, how Jesus came down and suffered and died so that others may live. And Paul is saying, I'm like that too. I am putting my whole life to be able to go to serve other people. And he even makes this incredible statement, I rejoice in my sufferings. Well, he's not rejoicing in pain and in agony. 
but he surely is rejoicing when he sees God's work in the lives of men and women. And whatever he has to go through to see that kind of result, he rejoices because God's love is moving forward. Jesus made it very clear to Paul about suffering. And actually, we need to have a theology of suffering, understanding what it means to be part of the family of Jesus who gave us his example. But when we look back and we see Paul, when he first came to understand who Jesus was, remember Paul had been uh, devastating the church. He's on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. Jesus interrupts and appears to him. He causes him to be blind. And after several days, we pick up the story. This is in Acts in chapter 9, verse 10. Now, there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God's sovereign purpose, choosing this man. But then what he says next. Jesus said, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Jesus just lays it out. If you follow me, if you want to be my disciple, there is only one day, one way. Pick up your cross and follow me. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. You know, oftentimes we'll go to a Christian conference or something, and they'll introduce the speaker. And usually what do they say? They'll say, here's a speaker, and he has this many degrees, (laughs) which is good. And they'll say, and here's the speaker, and they have written so many books, and that's good. And they'll say, here's the speaker, and he's an international speaker. He's been to 35 countries or whatever, and that's good too. But what does Paul brag about when he wants to give his qualifications? Well, actually, we know that because in Corinth, there was a huge conflict starting to happen. 
there were people being raised up against Paul. And these other people were calling themselves super apostles. And these super apostles were showing how much better they were than Paul. And so Paul goes in actually to say, okay, you want to compare me to you? Let's do it. And this is what he said in his letter to the Corinthians, comparing himself to these other. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. When's the last time we heard that about a speaker? Here's our speaker today. He spent 20 years in prison. He's buried three children in the cemetery. And the list is one of suffering. When Paul wants to say, what are my qualifications? What are the marks of of following the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, I join him in his life. Suffering for the sake of others. He goes on. In verse 25 of Colossians chapter 1. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And I love that picture of Paul being a steward. God called him, and then he gave him a task. He gave him a job. He gave him the gifting, and he gave him the power. Go do it. And God has done exactly the same thing with you and I in this room. Each one of us in this room that knows the Lord Jesus Christ, we are stewards. We are stewards. Again, writing to the Corinthian church, Paul says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There is a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God has chosen you. 
God has given a calling to you. God is giving a stewardship to you, and he's given you the gifts to make it happen. And the thing is, is that he doesn't give the gift to you for you. He gives the gift to you for me and for everyone else around you. He doesn't give a gift to me for me. He gives a gift to me for you. And as he talks about giving this gift, he includes God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity is involved in choosing the gifts that you have, the calling, and the stewardship that you have. How are we doing with what God has given us and the responsibilities he's placed under us? That stewardship could be for your family. That stewardship could be in the the kids' Sunday school. That stewardship could be for your neighborhood, whatever it is. But God is the one who has called you to be part of that. As we go to verse 26, he says, talking about this gospel that is driving him, he says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Brothers and sisters, the entire Old Testament does not understand this. The people that went before us had no understanding of what it would mean that Almighty God would actually turn us into a temple and dwell inside of us. And this is what Paul is talking about. He said this is what Jesus has done. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus has given, redeemed us. He has forgiven our sins. He has declared us holy and righteous, as we talked about last week. But he goes on. He says not only has he done all that, but he has chosen to actually come and to dwell and to live inside of each one of us. The God who created the universe dwelling in us. Jesus told the disciples that this would happen in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Paul talks more about this in his letter to the Romans in Romans 8 and verse 9. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Again, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, all combining in this, even in indwelling us, filling us with the Spirit. 
Sometimes I think we forget that. Maybe sometimes because we almost are used to being around Christians. We're used to this sense of the Holy Spirit. But it's when we get outside of meetings like this and people who don't know God come in contact with us that the darkness and the light is exposed. I remember one time Teresa and I were in Lebanon and we were visiting some ruins and we were kind of climbing up to this, this old ruin and she was behind me and these two ladies came walking past us and they went uh, past me and then they went down and then they stopped Teresa. And they said, is that your husband? And she said, yes. And they said, is he a spiritual man? And I'm sure she was thinking, well, sometimes on a good day. Uh, no, what she said was, she was confused. What kind of a question from strangers on a trail? He said, well, he's, he's a pastor. And they said, you know, that explains it. Because when we walked past him, we could sense the spiritual nature there. What were they sensing? What Paul was just saying. For each one of us, when God the Spirit comes, people see God's Spirit in us. They sense God's Spirit in us. How many times have you heard people come into a church service and said, I've never experienced something like this. I've never felt something like this. That's because it is the Spirit of the living God that's here. Or you've had it when people have come up to say, there's something about you. I don't quite know what it is. I can't put words around it. But there's something about you. 1995, the Dulos ship was in Doha, Qatar. Again, uh, the young people, the Christian young people on the ship, and it's a book ship. And, and here was a man from the Ministry of Information uh, in Doha, this uh, Qatari young man. And he was assigned to be on the ship for 10 days. And so for 10 days, all he did was rub shoulders with people like you and me. And at the end of 10 days, he just had to grab somebody. He said, can you answer this for me? I have a really good family, but I have nothing like this. I have a really good father, but, but our relationship, it's nothing like this. What is it that you people have? And he was able just to say in one word, one simple word. Jesus. We have Jesus. And Jesus makes that difference. And Jesus living inside of us shines out in our earthen vessels, in our sinfulness, and all the mistakes and junk and everything we do. God dwells and uses us and shines through us. Well, Paul goes on in verse 28. And he really gives his purpose statement now to the Colossian believers. He says, him we proclaim. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's so simple. What is Paul's life purpose? To present Jesus full stop. He's not presenting a denomination. He's not presenting a church. He's not 
uh, presenting any kind of religious system. He is presenting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus and nothing else. And when we get that right and we begin to follow who he is, what he said, what he did, we fall in line with his family, with his kingdom. Well, he goes on in verse 29. And he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The source of his energy, the Holy Spirit, the driving power that keeps him moving after beatings and prisons and all of that, the Holy Spirit. That powerfully works within him. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face. Verse 2 of chapter 2. That their hearts may be encouraged. A ministry of encouragement. Being knit together in love. To reach all the riches, the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And we see who Paul was. We see Paul's purpose. And then when I think about us, I think about our fellowship. I think about our mission. I think about our purpose. I'd like to just put up the mission statement of New Life Church. Right there in front, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. And then it goes on to say this, our, therefore, our mission is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. Our greatest desire as a church is to reflect God's glory to Abu Dhabi and to the world. God is glorified when we make disciples who are then developed to become like Christ. We are doing exactly what Paul is saying here. We go on and we look at the strategy that we have. We accomplish this mission through personal spiritual growth. I love that. It's a challenge. It means for us to grow, I have to grow. For us to grow, you have to grow as an individual. There is responsibility in that. There's even accountability in that because I also know if I screw up, if I sin, if I do something really, really stupid, it will affect you. So I need to guard my heart. And when I make stupid mistakes, confess them quickly and get on with the things that God has called me, us, to be doing. 
Paul is giving a warning in the last verses. He's kind of setting us up for the verses that are to come because he's going to address people that get diverted from following Jesus. And so even in the midst, their midst, that's a possibility. Even in our midst, that is a possibility. And even in our book of Colossians, I'm challenged because in in chapter 4, and Paul is giving all of these greetings, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Demas is described as a faithful co-laborer with Apostle Paul. Until a few years later, we find Paul not under a comfy house arrest like he is as he writes this letter, but he's in the maritime prison. He's now in the dungeon, in the chains, in the cold, in the dark, and the damp. And he writes the very last letter to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. We must not let anything sidetrack us from what God is calling us to do and to be. For Demas, he fell in love with the world. Maybe it was the persecution. He just couldn't take it anymore. It doesn't say he he forsook Christ, but it does say he forsook Paul. And he got misguided. What are the things that can get us off track? You have an experience and somehow your expectation of what God should have done doesn't happen. And you get angry, and the anger turns to bitterness, and all of a sudden, you start to go like this. Relationships that go bad, and all of a sudden, you start focusing on that, and you go like this. Other events that happen in your life, and you start focusing on them, you get distracted, and you start going like this. And Paul, writing to the church, is saying, look, We've got to come and stay together focused on a God who loves us, who died for us, who changed us, who indwells us with his spirit, and we need to walk in a manner that is worthy to that calling. And when these other things come that want to get us on track, in Jesus' name we say, no, I'm not going to go down that path because it only leads to misery, death, and destruction. Instead, we're going to stay focused and we're going to let God's healing power help us, move us forward, do the things as we together stand and persevere and say that those two great commands are going to guide us. If anything else, we're going to do these two things. We will love God. We will love one another. And that's what he's calling us to do. Father God, as we think of this incredible example of Paul's life, Father, each of us can think of people like, like Brother Andrew or, 
or others that have affected us and they've shown us how to persevere, how to not quit, how to not give up. Lord God, we just thank you for that. And Father, as we just sense this, this purpose, that's what we want, Lord, in our hearts. Father God, we invite your Holy Spirit to work in us, to do whatever you want to do, that we would be all you've called us to be in these days in this city for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.